We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Great midweek results leaves Arsenal back in the top four where they belong. And with the arrival of Dennis Suarez, we have to ask, is the title back on? No. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, No, the title is not back on. But top four is back on. It is so back on that we are in the actual top four on goals scored. Still counts. Still good. Um, And with... Let me see. It says here, Manchester City away at the weekend. I imagine that we will only uh, further consolidate our position uh, in that illustrious Champions League place. So we're very excited to talk about that. We're going to start this podcast, though, not talking about Cardiff, but talking about deadline day. We're recording on deadline day as the window is getting ready to slam shut which is what the window does, Uh, and it has been a flurry of activity today. Dennis Suarez loan officially announced, and Arsenal also have um, done nothing. Arsenal have done nothing. We've loaned Dennis Suarez. Okay, moving on to Cardiff. No, I'm kidding. We'll talk about that, but we're going to talk about that with our guests who need to be introduced. The first is Scott. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeah! And Paul, you can find him on Twitter. Pause me my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. Clive will be back for Patreon content tomorrow, uh, going over the deadline uh, day in depth, the window generally transfers, the arrival of Dennis Suarez and more. And then Tim has assured us he'll be back after the City game. Uh, apparently he likes a moan is the only reason I can think that's why he's making his triumphant return after the City game and then back uh, on a long-term contract after that. So his, uh, his winter break coming to an end. In any event, let's get to the big news first, though, Paul. Um, you have wanted Suarez from the beginning. You've got your wish, uh, a lone move. And look, I will point out, I don't think anyone else in the top six have made any permanent signings that I can think of. Mostly loan moves, not a lot of big activity, kind of a dud of a, of a transfer window, uh, January window. 
in stark contrast to last season, which maybe kind of set our expectations a little high, we started dreaming of Usmani Dembele. We ended with Dennis Suarez. How do you feel about the acquisition? Um, so, uh, he's a big, big, big unknown. Uh, for all the obvious reasons, like not having played for a few years, but he should be nice and fresh. Um, I think the profile makes a lot of sense. I know we wanted a center back and we wanted a fullback wing back and we wanted a wide player. And it's clear in this window we were desperately, well, uh, we locked in Suarez early as primary target, it would seem. And we fairly desperately we're looking for an additional wide player and that's that's as far as we got so that's what what uh emery thinks he needs uh, i know there was a lot of talk about we have a lot of players in this position if this position is playing in those um kind of that advanced mid half spaces iwobi mikatarian spot but we don't really uh, you can list off a bunch of players and probably uh, you could say Wobi and Mikatarian when fit, and he's not, uh, and maybe Ramsey, but he's been used in a number of different positions, can play in that that spot. I don't know that too many of them. Maybe Mikatarian can really run for 90 minutes, and Unai Emery uses more subs, has used every sub available to him in every game, apparently. So that's six, 69 or something substitutions he's nice. made. Nice. Yep. And uh, he swaps it around at halftime and pulls out a different config. So you're not even looking for the same players in each half. So this guy's potentially going to get loads of usage and in a, probably the busiest spot for the manager. He, you know, he needs two of those guys per game. Uh, and if he subs them and keeps the same for configuration, he needs four of them. And we don't, we, we rarely have four fit guys. So, um, I think he's, people have said he's like a Wobi. I think he achieves the same as a Wobi by different means, um, a different style of player doing the same thing. And he's better going wide and doing cutbacks and that kind of thing from what I've seen. Uh, but he's as prolific on the end product. So he'll be the, another pre-assist merchant, but we've got two really good strikers who need feeding. So mm. I'm excited, but we could look back on him in a few months' time and think, oh, that's why he didn't start for Barcelona. Yeah, well, I mean, I, we're going to find out. He was already in training. Scott, I want to read you um, tweets because that's what a podcast is for, reading tweets. David Cartledge at David Jacka. Uh, I believe he is an Jack editor. Off. Wow. How do you really feel about I did, that? I didn't like his tweet. Oh, yeah, he apparently, bummed me out. Apparently, editor at ESPN UK, Spanish football journalist at TalkSport 2, 442, and Talking La Liga. Um, a guy who had some strong opinions on Emery before he arrived. So take He's a hack. Take it with a grain of salt. So just just note, if you ever disagree with Paul, this is what you're in for. Um, or Paul disagrees with you, I should say. Um, two things that I thought stood out. First of all, a lot of people playing up the Suarez and Emery links from Sevilla one thing that uh, David Cartledge said on Twitter is that uh, his time with Sevilla is being overplayed. He was a bit part player that played in various roles, and Unai Emery could never really find his best position, an average loan that lacked any consistency. The other thing that stood out to me about his thread on uh, uh, Suarez is he said, 
his lack of personality and confidence on the field has held him back. Plays safe. Doesn't take risks or look to influence games. He's simply not that player. He won't demand the Mother ball, fuck. offer authority. Um, I don't want to shit on a player before he arrives because that <laughs> would deny me the opportunity to shit on him after he's arrived, which is more uh, my my hashtag brand. So, Scott, why don't you shit on the player before? No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We want to stay upbeat. He, he could be awesome. But... Uh, do you want to sort of contextualize those comments and maybe if you've had a chance to look at him statistically or, or just contextual, I mean, um, qualitatively, what your thoughts are on, on how he's going to play for us? Um, you know, so I, I have tried to, to come around on this one a little bit better um, than when I was first seeing this one rumored. Um, you know, looking at his overall La Liga performances, he actually looks like a, a pretty solid player. Um, you also have to remember he's, you know, still fairly young. So it's not like you're getting a, a finished product. He's 25, so he's really right at the beginning of the the peak years. Although as a, you know, a wider player, they tend to peak a little bit earlier. So um, I think we're getting the player at a good age. Um, I think the other thing to remember is that that Sevilla time that was, you know, 2014-15. So he was really, um, you know, a young prospect at that time. So it wasn't, you know, I don't think you can. Um, say that's the the be all end all. You know, the next year at Villarreal, um, he played much better. Um, that's really probably his big breakout and got him the the move to Barcelona or you know the move back to Barcelona. Um, you know where he actually got some minutes there. Um, I think that he does fit into the Awobi mold, um, a wide player that isn't necessarily going to give you the final product, but will will link play. And you know if you looked at the the Cardiff match, I think that's something that Arsenal really need in this squad. Uh, with the way that Emery wants to play. Um, that was something that when Awobi um, came on at halftime, um, Arsenal just looked so much more balanced in that match. And I think that if uh, Suarez can add that to um, Arsenal on a consistent basis, I think that things are going to look a little bit more fluid. Um, it just didn't quite fit. I think that that was part of the problem is that Ozil was having to, to draw back, and then that really only left two attackers. So the, that 4-4-2 diamond, while I, I like it, when you're playing three defensive midfielders, it doesn't quite mix, right? So I think that having another player who can, you know, if, if Arsenal do want to stick with that 4-4-2 diamond, um, I think that Suarez or Awobi um, could be one of the, the three in the midfield to to help also alleviate play, bring on, um, you know, more of a, an attacking if they want to push forward when Arsenal have the ball. So uh, that's what I'm hoping to see from Suarez um, I'm not expecting a, a ton of goals or assists, but I don't think that that's necessarily what Arsenal need. I think they need that link player and, you know, someone who can be a little bit more direct and take on players. So hopefully that can be the case. And it's a loan to buy. So there's not a lot of risk here. So, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm yeah, it's okay. I, I want to add a sarcastic quip here, but Paul has already asked if he can add. So I'll let Paul add before I, I bring my uh, pointless sarcastic quips back to the podcast. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, so uh, just to, to balance out the cartilage guy, um, I mean, this guy was a Barca product, uh, played at Sevilla, Villarreal. Uh, everybody got a really good look at him, and Barca went and bought him back. They didn't use him very much. Um, but he also had a lot of competition from some really good guys, and the demands in that particular position are inordinately high at Barcelona. So I think we can say he's not Barcelona standard, but that leaves a lot of, uh, if we were talking about a Barcelona center back, you could quibble 
exactly how world class you're dealing with. But when given the position he w- was wanting to play, if he's not Barcelona level or Barcelona mentality or politically didn't really have the mentality to fit in at Barcelona, that still leaves a potentially superb player who's been through their academy, who they knew upwards and downwards when they re-signed him, having sold him. So uh, there's got to be a pretty damn decent player in there between Barcelona uh, owning him twice and Emery wanting him a second time. So we'll see. I get that. I, I do think you can overplay the fact that he's at Barcelona. I mean, there are plenty of players that haven't been good at Barcelona because they just weren't that good. Um, in fact, some of them have come from Arsenal. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think what you have to do is almost disregard the Barcelona thing and go back to what he was at Villarreal, where he was supposedly his best, and say, is that player, if that player is what he can be right now, does that player help us right now? And we'll have to find out. I, you know, I, I think Scott, the question for me is sort of how do you how do you ascertain how much a player can help you when it's unclear what way that coach wants the team to play you know what I mean I think the reason we're scratching our heads a little bit is not only because we don't know what kind of player is is inside Denis Suarez right now um like Quato you know like just bursting out of his stomach what kind of player is is inside him that's a uh, total recall joke if you haven't seen it um but you know I, I think it is difficult for us to ascertain the importance or the value of any any acquisition in the absence of a primary system of playing do you think that's part of the problem you know it's hard to visualize what the for for me I can't visualize what the best case scenario of Suarez is because I don't know what our best case scenario for playing football is right now. Does that make sense? It does, and I think that's kind of part where Arsenal are in a bit of a, a lurch right here, where we don't have that technical director or you know the sporting director, whoever is there to kind of set the the footballing philosophy for the team. Is it you know a team that's going to be decided by Unai Emery? Is that who's going to set the philosophy of the team? Um, because if that's the case, then, you know, you really need a you know director that's going to get the players that he needs um, is, you know, going to be the director that comes in. And is he going to want something different? Because that's really where everybody needs to be on the same page, building everybody pulling on the same way. Um, I think that Suarez is a flexible enough player that he can kind of fit into a number of different roles. Um, but I think that's why everybody was seeing these loan to buy kind of things to to keep the options open for the summer um, when you know supposedly you know a technical director is coming in so we can you know have a philosophy to build towards because that is one of the the big questions for Arsenal right now and I think that's something that is still pretty unclear um, along with Emery deciding what our best eleven is and yeah so it'll be interesting to see. Um, but I don't think this really sets anything in stone. So I think we're good. I had another hilarious comment to make here, but Paul wants to add again. Go ahead. <laughs> so I have a theory on the, like I, I accept your premise. It would be great if we had a, a style and approach. And if we really liked it and um, we were winning and it worked, um, given that those things seem to be available to us, maybe the next best thing is basically more of mixed martial arts. Like when I was growing up, I was a big Bruce Lee fan and he had a very decided style and even he pulled in moves from other martial arts. That was kind of one of the things he did. He wasn't a purist, but it was still pretty pure. But you look at mixed martial arts and it's got a bit of everything, wrestling, jujitsu, just straight, straight out punching, uh, you know, 
bite in his ear when the referee's not look what looking, whatever it takes. And that's the mode we're in at the moment. And I think given that we literally change formations at half time on a regular basis, Dennis Suarez is probably a pretty damn good fit because he can basically play any attacking midfield or wide role to at least a reasonable level. He's got good speed. He's got trickery. He's got some creativity and we lack creativity. So I think he's a really good fit for how we play at the moment. Um, You would hope that when the summer comes and he gets a couple more players that he wants in here, uh, Mr. Emery, Emery could be more definitive I mean, he's always a bit of a pragmatist, but more definitive in his go-to style to take it to a smaller team and a larger team. I mean, it was a dramatic change at halftime, and he wasn't happy how we played against Cardiff. And I think Suarez could have played in our first half formation very handily, and maybe he would have stuck with it at that point, or our second half formation. So I think he's going to get plenty of usage out of the boy. Um, so... Uh, I, well, Elliot, I for fuck's sake, guys, you. just let me get the Excuse pithy comments me, in here, it. and then you can talk. I, all I was going to say is, if we acquire enough players who can carry the ball into the final third without producing anything in that critical aspect of the pitch, we can see the platonic ideal of Emory football. Now you can talk, Scott. Jesus. All right. So I guess it's kind of piggybacking off of the, the perfect discussions that we've been having. Um, so I guess the, the thing is here is, do you... Um, see uh, an issue with the, the halftime changes is it something that you think is a, a problem or do you th- see that as a you know emory just being flexible uh, i think it's stay indicative. in your lane <laughs> jesus christ guys i asked the questions around here paul do you think that halftime changes is a sign of of tactical flexibility or a lack of a plan Look, it's not a bad thing, but it tells you where we're at, right? The fact that he's decisive. If we'd said, hey, we're going to get this new manager in from Spain, uh, he might be pretty good. And he's going to be flexible in tactics. He's going to be decisive in making changes, uh, even up to formation changes at halftime. He's going to play at three at the back. Uh, At times, he's going to play four at the back. He's going to play with wing backs at other times. Um and uh, he's going to be decisive on substitutions at halftime and aggressively during the second half, we would say, well, that's going to make a pleasant change. Now, is it good? I think if we were doing well, look, all our problems get fixed when you start winning, Um, and everything looks shit when you're not winning. Um, But that comes back to the fundamental point, why aren't you winning? And uh, there are multiple varied factors and I don't think changing at half changing at halftime is a symptom of the fact that he's not happy with what he's got and what we're doing at the moment. Nor should he be. So I, I, it means every player is involved. That they know what's going on in the first half doesn't mean they're not going to be uh, pulled in, in in the second half. Um, so it's it's a trade off. It swings and roundabouts, but it's a definitely a measure of where we're at, which is we're not playing close to where the manager wanted to be playing at halftime at Cardiff, nor should he have been happy, and it's good that he was decisive. Yeah, well, the the one thing I will say is that apparently Dennis Suarez said, I've spoken to Hector Bellerin. He wrote me a message when the rumors started to come out in the press about me joining Arsenal. If Hector Bellerin wants Dennis Suarez at Arsenal, I want Dennis Suarez at Arsenal. Um, Mm. I, I will take issue with one thing you said. I mean, everything you said, but just one thing on microphone. Mm. Um which is everything's good when you're winning. I mean, I think 
we have at least had questions during some of the winning runs this season about the way we were approaching the games, and I think oh, it's fair to say there'll always be questions. Oh well, and there'll always be hashtag content. But <laughs> I, I think you know, look, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it's a downturn in form that was the first time the questions were raised about what specifically Emery's trying to do. And you know, look, maybe having a player like Suarez who he knows a little bit better, who he has a clearly defined role for in his mind, if he does, will help us see a a clearer picture of what Emery wants to do more often. And look, maybe it is the case that Emery feels the best way for this Arsenal team to play is different every game because it's such an imbalanced team that there is no one way that's going to work for it. And, you know, mm-hmm. until he can build to that, this is what he's got to do. I, I can live with that. Let's wrap he up. He needs on- a few more Emery players would be my hope. I, I'm hoping that's what's holding him back. I just hope also that Dennis Suarez is not the sort of epitome of an Emery player. Um, you know, not that he can't be, well, not that he can't be good, but just that, like, let's just say I'm whelmed. You know, you know what I mean? I'm not underwhelmed, but I, I wouldn't say we'll I'm take overwhelmed. Whelmed. Whelmed, whelmed okay. to work for now. Um, well, let's wrap up on the transfer window, though, with, with a, a couple of other minor details here. A report coming out. And this is from the Sun, so take it with a grain of salt, or a lot of grains of salt, because, you know, fuck the Sun. But that Emery blocked Enkedia's move, uh, loan move, to Augsburg. So uh, I believe he is not going out. Smith Rowe, I believe, gets his loan move to Red Bull Leipzig. Scott, your thoughts on the one that's happening and the one that's not? Um, I think that that's a, a good move for him. Um, it's actually a, a pretty high level, you know, going to, to RB Leipzig. Um, they're a really good team, um, you know, in the Bundesliga, which, you know, apparently is where all of our you know players are going now. So that'll be a good one. Um, I, I think that that'll be exciting. I wonder if he'll get pretty good amount of minutes in there. So I, I like that move for him. Um, I wish he could have played more Europa League minutes for Arsenal, but... Um, I think that's a good one. I saw that this is a, a six-month, but there's also the possibility of it extending into next year, um, also on a loan. So that'd be a, a good one to you know continue. Um, I guess if he plays well, and then they can continue with him in the plans for next year, and you know he could be part of them building to um, you know a, a key member of the team. Okay, uh, Paul. We should buy a Dutch team and start playing our players through their kind of Manchester City style. Um, yeah, I think it's great for Smith Rowe. Uh, bummer for Enkatia. I mean, he hasn't really been used here. Um, and he's getting pulled back again. Kept in the squad because Emery thinks he might someday need him. And this time around, it's because he hasn't got his attacking wingers that he was chasing, Carrasco and co., somebody else who can score goals, and we only have two goal scorers. And when you look at the fact that most goals, the highest goals per 90 is scored in the last, whatever, 10, 15 minutes of a game by the sub who comes on, we don't have that option off the bench at the moment, the way we're playing. So those last-minute goals, uh, Lacazette was getting them for us for, us for a while, uh, Welbeck used to come on. Aubameyang wouldn't play every game. He'd come on and give us some energy and some goals. That's prime time. You're scoring at almost twice the rate as a as a player who's staying on for 90 minutes. And we don't have that third option. And maybe Ankatia is the closest we can get. But it's it's harsh on the lad. Yeah, I, I just think this is a season that is proving that anybody who can play effectively in the final third should be 
retained by the club. And I mean, even ESR, you could make an argument, could be more value to us staying, although I get for his development, this is a great move. Um, you know, I, I think you could have made an argument for Reese Nelson coming back if that was even allowable. I can't remember if we de- determined that, that was or not, but we need those end product players and, and those players who can make a difference in the final third. So it looks Are like Pat a tendency to send Ankiti out because he's not getting played and keep Smith Rowe because he has the Ramsey knack based on small sample size of getting into the box and getting on the end of the ball and well, the end of the ball, getting on the ball in the six yard area and there and around and could get us a few goals, I think, as likely as Eddie at the moment because Eddie hasn't played. So I don't know. I might have gone the other way myself if I'd been um, uh, Senor Emery. I guess I think it really just matters on the the numbers. You know, Arsenal don't really have a third striker exactly. on the team. Yep, that's how with with Dennis Suarez coming in, that kind of takes more of the minutes that Smith Rowe could have theoretically gotten. Fair. I just don't see how we're going to play Aubameyang and Lacazette. Start them both in every game between now and the end of the season. Like that's that's not possible. I that that is begging. I mean, it, let me rephrase. Of course, it's possible. It's possible for a frog to jump to the moon, but like. It's not likely. So, you know, these are things that we should take into consideration. By the way, uh, do not challenge me on the frog jumping to the moon thing. Just leave it. Um, Let's let's leave the deadline day there. I I think, you know, overall, nobody else made any moves that moved the needle. I mean, Scott, is there anything for you that jumps out? Obviously, Higuain uh, had a phenomenal first appearance for Chelsea in their 4-0 drubbing at Bournemouth. Uh, I don't believe he took a shot and was replaced by Olivier Giroud. How do you feel about any other moves that the... uh, other top six made? Uh, well, in the top six, there really hasn't been a, a ton of moves. Um, the one move I was actually kind of interested in is that, you know, big Newcastle United going to Atlanta United, going and plucking the, the best player out of MLS. So is it the, oh, the, the Almiron? You know, Almiron, so that was yeah. A, yeah, so the best be a, player a in MLS. Are you going to debate on that one? I, I don't think that one. <laughs> no. I, I, Sorry. Sorry, lads. Sorry, lads. I, I um, mean, I think yeah, that was a shot at the MLS, one. which, by the way, I'm totally here for, so that's fine. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, nothing nothing that moves the needle. Do you think maybe the, the most important move uh, seems like Fellaini is leaving United? Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Um, that, that worries well, me. Well, I think the, that makes the Everton um, not giving up on uh, Guerrero or Guerrier. I don't know. The French names are, are hard for me. Um, but I think that's really uh, throwing the, the wrench in the Nkuku um, move that Arsenal <laughs> wanted to give. I, yeah, I think just stay away from me pronouncing names so, um, you know, from PSG. So that, that one kind of screws things up for Arsenal. But I, I didn't really expect that one to go through. Yeah, I mean, that was the one that I think excited me in the sense that you know, sort of right age profile, you know, an upside opportunity. We were obviously looking at all loans. I, I will say this. Look. What was interesting about Nkuku was they said it was one we were looking for for the summer that we tried to pull forward yeah. and that we're still in there. So hopefully that's a name still floating around in the summertime. It's Nkunku, isn't it? Nkunku, yeah. Okay, not Nkuku because that, that no, doesn't sound right. No, I wouldn't go with that. No, that's a bird. That's silly. Um, yeah, that, that is silly. Why'd you say it, Scott? Um, the... Hashtag brand. <laughs> exactly. Look, the the way I look at it right now is uh, since we weren't looking at anybody that blows your hair back, the fact that we were looking at loans seems savvy. And I, I think what we can all agree on with the Dennis Suarez thing is while Paul is certainly more, uh, you'll be shocked to hear, um, <laughs> optimistic about this working out for us, we are only committed as far as the rest of the season and, and we get a look at him. And 
just not only did Dennis Suarez blow my hair back, it parted my pubes. That's uh, it's really uncomfortable to hear, and I wish you hadn't said it. First of all, why do you have them? Shave them. Get rid of them. Okay, I, I'm, I don't get these young people. Nothing wrong with a little bush. That's what I say. Uh, George W. George H. W. There's something wrong with that bush. Okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> this got really weird really quick. So, all right. Well, look, I mean, the, the, the upshot here is that we are sitting in fourth place. I mean, the, the midweek fixtures worked out great for us. The Chelsea result was hilarious. When it was 3-0, someone tweeted out one more goal. I think it might have been uh, LG Ambrose Lewis tweeted out uh, one more goal for Bournemouth and, and we're fourth. And I remember laughing it off because it was the 87th minute and it was 3-0 Bournemouth. And sure enough, they got that goal and we move into the top four. And we did it. Uh, with what is probably not a vintage performance. Now, this is going to be an interesting discussion of the Cardiff match because Paul loved it. It was like his favorite game. He couldn't wait to come on Twitter and say, what a great game it was and so many good performances. And meanwhile, I ran a Twitter poll that was like, who's having less fun, the players or the fans? And it was like 80% the fans with like 1,000 people voting. So I have a feeling this could be a slightly polarizing conversation, but let's do this. The mention of pubes has got me all fired up. So... I want to give a shout out to our friends at the enclosed. Let's take a break. Let's talk about lingerie. We'll try to purge the thought of, of Paul's privates from our mind. And when we come back, we will talk about the disgusting slash classic performance that was Arsenal beating Cardiff uh, in midweek. So we'll take a break, hear about lingerie, come back after this. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the enclosed, the E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month club. That's right. Just like a Beer of the Month club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. Look, Valentine's Day is around the corner. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating Valentine's Day with a gift from the enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, the enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful, high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. And we're back. Hope that got you in the mood for a little uh, sexy Arsenal Cardiff talk. And uh, Scott, I will start with you. I, I didn't find this to be a vintage performance myself, personally. Just 30,000-foot view before we get granular, because I know what's coming with Paul. Um, did you did you enjoy this one, or did you think this was a grind? Uh, it was definitely a grind. Thank you. Um, I think that's exactly how Cardiff wanted it, and it's exactly how it turned out. I probably could have gone and you know wished to have those 90 minutes of my life back, but instead I spent them watching Arsenal. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that sums it up. Um as far as the setup, it was it was one of those things that right from the minute the lineup came out, uh, Twitter handled it with the equanimity it's known for. No, I'm kidding. Everybody lost their shit. Um, really, really strange because I, I, I totally understand that some of these players need rest and need time out of the side. So a guy like Granit Xhaka, who plays a lot of minutes, getting him rest makes sense. i just not sure the way we set up that it made sense. Now, when I looked at it, I assumed 
that it would be a diamond. It did look like it was going to be that way, but El Nenny at the base of it, um, you know, kind of worried me in terms of how we were going to progress the ball. Yeah, Ganduzi in midfield, and we can talk about him a little more because I thought he had an interesting performance. Mesut Ozil starts and gets the captaincy. Uh, I I didn't know what to make of this lineup when I saw it. And, you know, the back four was as makeshift as we expected. I mean, do you think that he's just continuing to show that he's willing to go a little too conservative in games like this? Yeah, Scott. I think it was definitely a, a quite a conservative one. I, I don't understand this need for only putting three attacking, you know, or, you know, truly attacking players on the pitch against these bottom table teams, especially at home. Um, I mean, almost anybody could see that they were going to sit back and they were going to, you know, let Arsenal have the ball. And it was with three, you know, nominal, you know, defensive midfielders. You know, I guess Guendouzi is more of a, you know, box-to-box player now. And, you know, Torreira is pretty good going forward. But that's not really what you're going to get from El Elneny. And, you know, like I said in my buying the numbers piece, I, I don't want to shit all over El Elneny because, you know, I think he's a, a useful player. But he's not really a player that, you know, you come in and, you know, expect to see, you know, great offensive, you know, creativity from. He's a player that does pretty decent defensive work, passes the ball pretty well, safely. You know, we'll take a shot from too far out and we'll more often than not get it blocked. But that doesn't really excite you. And when you put him with two other players that aren't going to be, you know, dynamic attacking players from deep, it really, really blunts an attack. Um, especially when Arsenal struggled so much to connect the ball. It's not even that the Cardiff were really challenging the midfield in that match. They just they still just couldn't get the ball forward to the attacking players. Um, and it really caused Ozil to, to really drop back too much. Um, and then that had Lacazette coming back, and then it was really Aubameyang all by himself. The only time we really seemed to, to have any thrust was through... Uh, Kolasinac on the the left, and you know it's it makes us very one dimensional. And it wasn't until Wobi came on that things you know looked right. And I think that that's going to be on the manager that you know almost anybody could have seen that and predicted it. And I think that was a mistake from him from the beginning. Yeah, I, it's hard for me to disagree. I mean, you don't want to get too far out over your ski tips being uh, doomy and dispiriting over a a win in a week when none of the other top six teams took all three points. But certainly, it looked like a conservative setup, and we struggled to create. But the thing that's so disappointing for me, Paul, was with a conservative setup like that against Cardiff at home, you know, at least you expect, okay, well, maybe we take the one or two chances we get, but they're not going to create much. And the opposite was true. They... They carved us open quite a bit, and Emery himself admitted that if anyone should have been ahead at halftime, it should have been them. I mean, if you want to set aside for a moment the challenges we had building play, which continue to be persistent, continue to be persistent is another way of just saying persist. Um, Do you think that that our openness and inability to deny them, you know, the chances to cut us open, was the bigger concern of that game? Uh, the bigger concern. Well, no, I think our the biggest concern is still our lack of creativity, um, because we created some chances uh, and didn't capitalize on them. The referee was not helping on the penalty side of things, but we eventually forced him into one. Um, <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, third time of asking. Um, I mean, they just hacked Ganduzi down all over the pitch, and he wasn't the only one. I think so he's, the referee... he's the most fouled or one of the three most fouled players in the league. Scott, you might have this in front of you. Um, I think there are two other players that are more fouled than him, but they've played between 300 and 500 minutes more than him. Is that right? Um, I can look it up while you continue on. All right. Fire, fire, fire away, Paul. No, no idea what Scott's yeah. doing over there with his database. 
Yeah, and, you know, defensively in this one, uh, well, you got to look at the midfield. I don't understand not playing Torreira at the base of the diamond. I mean, I kind of get it because he wanted to play El Nenny and he sees El Nenny as a kind of a, a, a solid, dependable player who can do a bit of everything. But, man, play Torreira at the base of the spine so that, or, uh, of the diamond so that we can start playing with some creative creativity at the back because i think he's got more game and he's got a more aggressive uh line of passing so i don't really understand the the lineup choices I, i'd play i'd have played terrera the base uh uh Ganduzi on on the right hand side and you know el Nenny if that's the only option available um and we've seen him play some reasonable games uh, as a more attacking midfielder pushed a little higher. So I didn't really get that. I thought Ozil got a lot of stick. So I, I think That's, what I, I would say I don't understand that. Why, why do you think yeah. he got stick? Because, look, it was a poor performance. I thought he was he and Ganduzi were really the bright spots for, for large periods of it. Him, Ganduzi, and Lacazette. I thought yeah. Lacazette has been almost outstanding for two games. And this was, I mean, screw his goal. I had already decided... Uh, he was lighting the place up. Just, and it's not all the eye-catching stuff. I just thought he'd really good game. So I didn't think we played brilliantly. And I know I said something about creating a lot of chances. I think we ch- created enough chances going forward uh, had we done more with them and a little bit of support from the ref. Um, but I thought Lacazette was outstanding. I thought Oza was really good and really added and created and, and did a lot to build play. If you just watch him playing his game, he had more, people think he wasn't that busy. He had more passes than Ganduzi, who was a very busy player in this game for as long as Ganduzi was on the pitch. He was dropping deep. He was all over the place. And he reminded me why I love his style of play and the way he played. So my, my uh, I think what I'd revise my, my, message on this as being i think individual players played pretty well the system didn't particularly work we had some really nice passages of play that we didn't capitalize on some of those didn't show up in xg because there are balls across the bot i mean we should have scored on 90 seconds with the that one that came in the genduzi ball through to kalasinac who squares it across the box and it falls to lacazette and he doesn't quite get it off quick enough um so i enjoyed a lot of the aspects of this game by looking at the individual players more than the structure, the way we play, we were playing the, the kind of ebb and flow of the game. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, just, it breaks my heart to see Ozil going to waste. I kind of understand it, but he's just such a beautiful player when he's at it. And he was at it in this game, I thought. So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, uh, we changed we changed it at halftime for a reason. It wasn't working particularly well. That didn't mean there weren't a few small golden nuggets in the first half and some players playing their socks off. I think we had to change it because we weren't creating enough to yeah. overcome what was I thought a dangerous um, sure. Cardiff side, and you know, I mean, just just looking at the the basics of it, I mean, Cardiff had what was it, fifteen shots? Or something? Uh, 19, yeah. 19, 19 shots. And, and you know, I realize, look, XG is more important, but 19 shots is a lot to allow. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the variance that goes with 19 shots is you can wind up conceding a couple of times. Now, as it turns out, they got a late goal to make it maybe slightly kind of interesting. Um, I also thought that our attacking performance was varnished by, by the period of play after we got the penalty because then some chances came. We had the one big chance with Aubameyang, and I think 
uh, Scott, am I correct in saying that our XG for the match was padded pretty considerably by what happened after the penalty? Yeah, so Arsenal had uh, a total of four big chances in the match, but two of them came after the 90th minute. So that was yeah, definitely... Two of them came after the 90th minute. Yeah, that's wow. right. So there is, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, that, that kind of tells you everything. I, I do think Guendouzi, Guendouzi was excellent. Um, you know, he led us in passing, but it wasn't just that. Five of six completed in the penalty area. He's a really interesting player because he can break lines and he can be good at deep distribution and he's active and he's busy, but... I think he has a real flair for picking a pass in the penalty area. He did. He, was it Lacazette he picked out really nicely on the right channel inside the penalty area for for a a really good opportunity. I just I like his ability to keep his head up and spot movement and and play people in around the area. And I I'd almost like to see him maybe deployed as another attacking option. I mean, he maybe he could play one of those tucked in wide positions, you know, sort of inverted winger positions. I, I realize that doesn't give us a lot of pace or dribbling, but we don't have a ton of it with any of the options we have at the moment. But Scott, one of the stories of the game, unfortunately, I think is Lick Steiner's performance. Maitland Niles, not great against United, apparently had a knee injury left out of this squad. And so we went to Lick Steiner. I mean, this is what he was brought in for when Bellerin's not around. You know, you haven't had a good day when you're chasing the game and it's a straight swap for Carl Jenkinson. Um, how do you feel about Licksteiner? Yeah, and purely tactical one too. Yeah, and there's yeah. no. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like change the yeah. system. It's like here's a not good right back to come on for our worst right back. That's that's scary when you're chasing a game and that's one of your three substitutes. I mean, do you, do you think maybe people are piling on too hard, or was this really really poor performance for you from uh, Licksteiner? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 sad to see because you know Licksteiner, especially with all the years that he had in at Juventus, was a, a really good player. Um, but I think that you're seeing just, you know, the age that comes for us all. Eventually, you can no longer do the the athletic parts of the game anymore. And uh, especially in Emory system, you need to be athletic to be able to play fullback because he expects a lot of going up and down, um, especially when Arsenal play with that diamond. There's no width um, from any of the attackers. It's all going to come from the fullbacks. And I think that you could just see that Lichtsteiner just didn't have it in him anymore. Um, so I, yeah, I guess we're ready for Jenkinson time. So, do you, I mean, do you think that's going to happen? I mean, or, or do you I, think I, maybe potentially, I mean, certainly for city, we might go to a back three, but put the city game aside. Cause I think it's an anomaly in some ways. I mean, if you're Emery, how do you solve a position where it's either an old bad player or a young bad player? I guess go for the the more athletic young bad player. Um, I think Jenkinson, I, his biggest downfall for me is that he's not the the greatest defender. Um, I think he's a a pretty good, um, you know, he has a pretty good delivery on his crosses. Um, he seems to have some athleticism still in him, um, so he can you know move around a lot and be active. Um, I, again, we're we're talking about a player that struggled to uh, make it in the championship last year, and you know, so we're not talking the highest quality player. Uh, but that's what Arsenal are left with right now. So I think that I am done with Licksteiner and I'm ready to to move on. Um, I think I still think that we should give uh, Maitland Niles more chance. You know, if yeah, that knee I injury totally agree. Yep. Uh, heals. Yeah, I mean that would be the direction I'd prefer we go. And again, I don't think Maitland Niles is a fullback. But I think given the the sort of choice that we're we're stuck with right now, I'd still prefer we we persist with him and give him a chance to to develop some skills there, Paul. The the Licksteiner thing wasn't great, um, but you know I don't, I don't think anyone's expecting miracles from him. So you know that that sort of is what it is. I mean, do you kind of concur that Maitland Niles is is still the best option at that position? 
I think so. Uh, I don't think mentally he's really tuned into playing there, but he's probably the best we have. And when you look at the manager's utterances, uh, he seems to list Maitland-Niles uh, first when he talks about that position in terms of op- options. He's been bigging up Carl Jenkinson a little bit as as a valid option, and we finally saw him coming on and playing a role there. So we could we could well see more of Corporal Jenks as the season goes on, which one side of me loves and the other side uh, wants to protect him and us from each other. So <laughs> you don't want to see the poor Arsenal, Arsenal lad get get beat up by angry fans. Um, yeah, no, I follow or, you. Or, or us getting beaten up by some travesty of decision making. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but look, yeah. I, I have I have a take that I I don't know that will be popular because of the way the game went, but that's nothing unusual for me. So I'm going to just throw it out there for you and see what you think. I don't look. This wasn't a vintage performance, but in the first half, for as open as we were, I thought we had some dangerous-looking moves. You know, once again, Kolasinac is basically our Mesut Ozil in the Emery system. Fine, so be it. But I actually thought we got worse in the second half before the penalty. I think the four-two-three-one is just an abomination. Aubameyang has no idea what to do with the ball in the middle third. You get him the ball in transition 30, 40 yards from goal, and he has no clue and you can see people starting to get frustrated with him and I can understand it because he's just not suited for that he is not very good with the ball at his feet he is not a good intermediate range passer um he's clever around the box both on the end of moves and creating moves but he doesn't want to run with the ball at his feet in transition and he certainly is not going to be part of the build-up so I I think he looked really really out of place there I thought we stagnated badly Iwobi could not get on the ball to save his life now once the penalty happened it all changes because Cardiff had to come out and they had to attack and and we started to have a lot more opportunities but Paul as far as that that period from halftime until we got the penalty I I thought it was pretty bad I mean do, do you disagree do you think that it that it was a positive change no I think that's right I mean uh, Aubameyang can't dribble. And can't pass. Uh, he's an eye for a big pass, but the ticky tacky stuff, the connecting it, it's just not his his uh, ball game. And without a creative player to get the ball in behind, um, and with Cardiff sitting so deep, it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense, as you say, until they had to come out and get at us. And yeah, Wobi was. Uh, strikingly quiet when he came on. There's no real good explanation for that. It wasn't his fault, but he just we just weren't playing in a way to get him on the ball and to have an impact there. So it was kind of a stultifying... Uh, well, well, also, uh, it moved Gendouzi yeah. back, who I thought prior to that point had been yeah. one of our most dynamic final third players or, you know, uh, edge of the final third kind of players. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's a, to me, he's a nomad. He's a wanderer. I mean, it, it, he needs to be able to travel all over the pitch, but that creates issues, especially for poor little Torreira, who's really good at knowing where to be, but he can't cover it all. Um, so it's kind of, you know, I, I think we see this as a pairing that will take forward into future seasons, etc. They should both be players the manager loves. But man, that's a, that's a lot of ground to cover for the second central midfielder along Gunduzi because he, he's best when he's just, I mean, he's getting fouled all over the place because he's traveling all over the place. He's actually, he doesn't get that many dribbles off. And I think half the time is because he's cut down in his prime uh, by all the fouling that goes on. He's actually a pretty decent dribbler, at least past the first player he meets. Um, 
But yeah, it was an interesting start to the second half. Like you say, it didn't really fix our problems until we got that goal, and we were there was a lot of frustration, and it was the in a way the penalty kind of came out of the blue. But uh, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, we'll take it. And and to be fair, I mean, we could have had penalties on other occasions. We're going to say goodbye to Scott. Uh, he has to jump off for uh, emergency work-related reasons, which is totally unacceptable. But when you record a podcast in the middle of the workday, sometimes that happens. That lingerie money can't support all of us. In any event, um, Paul, I, I think, you know, the one thing that... Oh, you're back to me, are you? Yeah, unfortunately. This is going to get interesting real fast. Um, let's try not to fight. I, I think... One of the things that I just look at is we want to keep both Lacazette and Aubameyang on the pitch, and I totally understand why we want to do that. They're really the only two reliable goal scorers we have in the squad. But the trying to play with one one chance creator in the in the middle of the pitch, you know, one one build up player, and using the fullbacks for width, I think it's not only choking off our our build up, our attacking build up, especially through the middle. But it's also meaning that we're just so much more vulnerable to counterattacks because the fullbacks are just so involved uh, in the attacking play, in the possession play. And against these smaller teams that sit deep, those fullbacks get sucked forward and we get hit on the counter. We saw similar stuff with actually Arsene Wenger's arsenal just a few seasons ago. I mean, could you be talked into the idea that we just start playing one striker and go to more of a 4-3-3? And even though we don't have true wingers, you know, maybe it's when Mkhitaryan's back, Awobi and Mkhitaryan, or maybe it's Ramsey and Ozil in the wide positions, or a Ramsey and a Wobi, whatever it is. And then you have the three midfielders. You play a Torreira, a Shaka, and a Ganduzi in midfield. A little more central control, a, a little more progressive passing with, you know, Shaka uh, and Ganduzi, where Ganduzi can maybe get a little more forward. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm sort of thinking yeah, out yeah. loud no, here, no. but it denies yeah. you that... Ch- now, I guess you could play Aubameyang as one of those wide forwards, even though I don't know mm. that it suits him. But do we, do we have to find a way even if it means only putting one of the two strikers out there to get another another build-up-slash-attacking-type player on the pitch that's not just going to get on the end of moves. Look, you would not build a team uh, with the plan to play Aubameyang on the wing. Um, I know he did that at Dortmund in his early days. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, you just you, you don't do that, not the way we play, not given we'll often have too much possession for that. Um, and given our propensity to go down a goal early on against other teams, it's it's not ideal. He, he doesn't bring us... I know he gets his goals and he gets his tap-ins, but beyond that, um, he makes no sense as an additional forward if we're not playing a pressing game. Then he makes a whole bunch of sense. If you got... Lacazette and Aubameyang split by Ramsey, and what we're doing is we're we're pushing their ba- we're pressing and pushing against their back line, and they're we're putting the high press on, and we're going after their keeper. Uh, play both of them. So there are games when you can play both, but you got to use them as a pressing line, or it's nuts. Um, the problem for Emery and for me right now is that Lacazette has been superb pretty much for most of the season, but as far back as I can think of, he's just, he's having a hell of a season. He's really coming into top class form. So it's really hard to drop the guy. Um, Aubameyang's our world-class finisher. Um, He's the guy I would have said played through the middle. Uh, I'm certainly all in favor of alternating the strikers, but that's very tricky for a manager for player and squad management. Um, 
but you also need somebody to come off the bench and score goals. And I'd, I'd sit the guys down and say, listen, we got four months to go. We're going to have to uh, come to agreement between you two boys uh, for the sake of the team so that we can get into top four. And we're going to have to do a little rotation between you two. And sometimes you'll come on as a at 70 minutes. Sometimes you'll come on, uh, Pierre, at 70 minutes. Sometimes we'll play the two of you when we want to press and find some kind of accommodation because um, I think it's really difficult to get our attacking unit sorted when your givens are Lacazette and Obama Yang, whether it's a 4-2-3-1 or a four four two, which so, someone's got to. I mean, someone's got to be sacrificed to play them both, yep. and it's it's winding up being a player who can create chances. You know, a player yeah. who can cut open the defense a little more. And I think the problem is Aubameyang wants to get on the end of moves. There's yep. only one player supplying the ball on, on the pitch at any given time right now. I mean, yeah. it's it's cutbacks from the fullbacks too. But but really, it was Ozil on, on this day, and Ganduzi, I guess, was doing it a little bit. Sure. I just think we're missing that one extra player, and maybe it's entirely because of Mkhitaryan's absence that the manager feels he doesn't have another player who adds enough to make it worthwhile yeah, you're playing only one. Mkhitaryan and Suarez, it's going to create uh, a counter pressure to get those guys into the team too. So maybe it'll begin to resolve itself. Maybe the options just weren't there with Obama Yang for this game to do something a bit different with, say, Ramsey over to uh, in his spot. Because uh, Ramsey was clapped out after the United game, I would have said. But yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. I mean, to me, if you said I can get Ramsey on the pitch, I can get Ozil on the pitch, I can get Mikatarian on the pitch, and I can get one of Lacazette or Aubameyang on the pitch, I'd rather do that at this point. I think you know, or you know, maybe the names change up a little bit. Maybe it's Dennis Suarez and Ozil and Mikatarian, or maybe it's Dennis Suarez, Ramsey, and Ozil. But I think you need that extra player in the final third to cut open defenses. And, you know, Aubameyang is just so peripheral right now. Look, Lacazette is a wrecking ball in the in the box right now. He is extraordinary, and he's, he's pressing back and he's tackling. I think his link-up play is overstated. Uh, you know, he is not Robin Van Persie. He is not putting Aubameyang in, running in behind the defenses. We are not creating anything through the center of the pitch. And I realize not a lot is created through the center of the pitch. It's the hardest place to do it. But... We really have become, you know, a, a one-trick pony with the overlaps on the left wing, and I, I, I think and it's no part- goals off the bench, and no, no, yeah. no striker, no striker on the bench either. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it may just be a case of, especially for a manager who makes changes every halftime and uses his subs early. Mm-hmm. You want someone who comes on. I mean, as, as much as I love Aubameyang, and God knows I love Aubameyang, a, a fresh Aubameyang coming on fifty minutes into the match. You know, to to pose a different challenge to to fading legs, like that may not be such a bad thing. Um, you know, I don't know. I just think we have to find another route to goal, and it may mean, ironically, sacrificing a striker. You know, I do you I, think we'll keep both strikers this summer? I don't see how we couldn't, because first of all, strikers are so expensive. I don't think you can afford to have one striker at the club, and we don't have anyone who can be the heir. I mean, whatever you think of Enkedia. He's not ready to be the number two striker at the club. No. We're not going to go out. I mean, what are we going to do? Are we going to sell Aubameyang for what what would you get for him at this age, at this point on his wages? $25 million? No, no, I think you get a lot. I think you probably get what we bought him for. Right. But then you're going to turn around and buy what? You're not going to be able to buy another striker of his caliber with that money. I mean, you're going to buy a a prospect. I get it. But I, 
I just think... Well, like, you, you could have a Midland Tat kind of 23-year-old... Well, we can't have a Midland Tat anything because he's fucked off yeah. somewhere else. But uh, I'm just trying to think through, Do does the manager look at it and say, knowing that one of the boys has to go in the summer, that he's okay with a little... Uh, ruffling a few feathers for the next four months to get us into the Champions League. See, I, I mean, don't, he's got to do what he's got so. to do anyway. Because, and the reason, again, the most important commodity in all football is goals. It's the sure. most important thing. And it is the hardest thing to find. And when you have proven goals, I mean, whatever we think of Aubameyang, he's the fastest to whatever number of goals he scored of any Arsenal player in the Premier League era. And, you know, he's one off, again, the, the Premier League lead. And that's without, I think, being brilliant. But he does get on the end of chances. Finishing is variable. He he's arguably gonna you know potentially round back into finishing form and re- revert to the mean and, and have a really strong finish to the season. I just think if you have goals in the squad, selling them off to try to go buy them again doesn't make sense to me. When there are other areas of need that we can address, I I think there's a bit, bigger chance that we try to shift Ozil and bring in another playmaker or a winger. For sure, you know that's what we need. To me, we need our. Sadio Mane, Sané, Sterling, you know, uh, th- that that kind of player, right? Um, that, ilk, Mares. that ilk of player. Yeah, that 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 type of profile. Yeah, and we've, we've debated Jean. that before. Let's, I mean, you gave Lacazette some credit, but let's just specifically real quick touch on the goal. I mean, it's it's really well taken. And the thing I will say about him, when he, he reminds me of Podolsky in one way, which is just like once he gets it onto his strong foot in the box— he he has he strikes the ball beautifully. He's, he fucking lurried it. Cleanly, it. He lurried yeah, it. Yeah. What what do you think of of just you know the just sort of the accuracy and the power of his shooting? He's a very adept shooter, getting the ball on target with power. He is. He's technically lovely. Um, that was an angry goal right from the get. He wanted a goal like, all game. Yeah. He was just like, "Fuck, yeah. I'm getting a goal." Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck the guys who've been kicking me all over the place. Fuck you, ref. I'll do it myself. Give me that damn whistle. I won't need it. And he just fucking beeline into the box and fucking lurries it past the keeper. It was delicious. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, look, you never want to give a player too much credit for penalties, but I do like the way Aubameyang takes it because he just never looks at the ball. Mm -hmm. He just watches the keeper, lets him go. I love that. You know, if, if you have the wherewithal to do that, to wait until the last minute and let the keeper move first... It's the most surefire way, I would think, of scoring a penalty, and it takes a lot of confidence and composure. So, you know, I, th- I thought that was great. So overall, I mean, look, it is a big result that we had to get going into a very, very tricky game. I, I think we're going to have to write the City game off. I think the hard part here is we will have special tactics, as we always seem to for the big games, just for City. They may work, they may not, but I don't think they're necessarily indicative of what we're going to try to do going forward. Um what what are some of your final takeaways from the Cardiff game? I mean, for you overall, is this a case of on a week when none of the other top six took full points, we should maybe give the team a little bit of credit for getting it done? Yeah, I do. Uh, look, you look at any of the individual performances and everybody was at it. It may not work have worked in terms of formation, but what I particularly enjoyed was despite the kicking, despite the shit refereeing, everybody was on it, including Ozil. And as we mentioned, Lacazette, Ganduzi stood out. Um, and, and when you look at the the blandness of some of the other games we watched, that lull they all hit, you, it gives it a little bit of a veneer, as somebody mentioned earlier, when you look at it in the context of the other two games that had 
time where after the busy Christmas period, it's pretty easy to flatline for a while. Um, and so, hey, you take your three points, which is the only thing that really matters. Uh, you, we were 2-0 up and cruising for a while. Shame about the clean sheet. But eventually we kicked in and we looked like we were a bit of class. So uh, it gives us a fill up for the, the, the city game. And as you say, uh, maybe we'll go at them with some pressing. And I could see us having a good 70 or so minutes. I, I don't think we'll make it across the finish line, but um, City might have some questions for themselves at the moment. I know the, the the situation right now is probably they're planning to bounce back, and they probably will, but they'll also have some questions if we can stick it to them uh, and some nervousness about the whole Liverpool situation. So it, it could be more interesting than we might have otherwise uh, suspected could be a game. Um, and we've done well when we've gone at teams, even the city and Chelsea game uh, at the start of the season gave us some level of hope that we could uh, get stuck in there. So we're a better team now. Maybe we can give them some grief uh, with the pressing lineup. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, I kind of want to approach the city game just as, uh, write it off well yeah just as sort of like an interesting thought experiment almost you know just yeah. like see what that, emery comes up that's with. a and, mentally healthy state to to as a supporter well, but as, as a team why not go for you know city are not in the best spot at the moment now they may respond brilliantly but they may not i look there there's the challenge for me the thing that scares me is still just the number of chances we concede and you know it's not that i think city are unbeatable it's that i think city are a particularly terrifying attacking force and we are sort of a, a paper thin def defensive squad like mm. tissue paper thin so any chance we'll go with three at the back you know it, it it it's always easier to do that when you have three defenders you can pick to go three at the back it looks like michelle yeah. back in training i mean i mm -hmm. think you know, some of that's going to depend on how he feels because I, I don't think you want to put a tentative Koscielny out there if he's worried about, you know, his face falling off. Um, it, You know, Mustafi being one central defender next to someone like Monreal scares me shitless. I think three at the back certainly sounds like a safer plan, but, you know, we've seen three at the back be just as vulnerable for Arsenal this season. I mean, what we did against Chelsea where we went four diamond two and pressed, that worked really well. I don't think you can do that against City. I, you know, I, I think Chelsea are a different animal in that respect. So I, I don't know. I mean, this is one of those cases where I just have to tip my hat to Emery. I don't know if you saw the picture of him going around on social media today, but um, he looked like he'd slept at a bus stop all night. And someone tweeted out, and I apologize for not getting it correct who it was, but that's how you look after 72 hours straight of studying Manchester City film. And uh, that's basically it. I mean, it's going to give him nightmares, but hopefully he comes up with something interesting. Anything would be a pleasant surprise. I think the important thing is, you know, what we do in the wake of this game. And with the Europa League coming back, you know, it's on Emery now to balance the squad. I mean, in a way, you could almost say it would have helped Emery if we were like 12 points cut adrift of fourth. You know what I mean? Where he could just yeah. be like, okay, Europa League's my, my everything. But he's in that position right now where he's going to have to really get the balance right because we are very much in the top four battle now and still very much in the, in the Europa League battle. So at least he's got two fronts where he could get Champions League. And I think the reluctance to spend in this window is also a, a, a little bit of a, maybe a look ahead to the summer saying, you know, that the caliber of player and the amount of money we can spend is so different if we get into the Champions League that let's see if we can get there uh, rather than sort of committing ourselves to Europa League caliber. So 
It'll be interesting. Do you think Suarez will play in this game? No, I think he might come off the well. I think he might come off the bench, depending on whether it's going well. If it's going not very well, I think he might come off the bench. I, I don't think we should make Manchester City his problem, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, that's fair. My opinion personally is that he should start against Manchester City, and if he's unable to drag us to victory, uh, we'll know everything we need to know about that loan move. So that's where I come down on that. Uh, score prediction? Yes, yes, there will be. Um, 3-1 to them. 3-1 to them. I will say, oh, God, 4-2 to them. Hmm. You know, I, I think we can, and I know they That sounds teams. like a great game. It does sound like a great game. For the neutral. For the neutral. <laughs> yeah, but we hate the neutral. Um, Fucking but hate we'll neutrals. See. I mean, uh, Flip-floppers. How are you feeling? I mean, real quick, before we say goodbye, you you starting to maybe develop a, a little sense that we could do this and, and finish top four? I mean, I, I think Chelsea could be in deep, deep shit, and United might wind up being the, the challenger we have to worry about. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's a good summary. I'm feeling more optimistic because I'd almost begun to, to uh, write it off until uh, there's been a few good results for us from other teams in the last uh, uh, two game weeks. So they brought us right back into it. The question is, can we hold off United? I really do think that's the question, but they had a nice stumble, wasn't it, against Burnley? Home to Burnley is not a game you're supposed to drop points. So, I mean, it would have been nice if they had lost, but a draw is still terrible for that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we shall see. Well, I... I am, uh, I'm, I have to admit, relatively upbeat about things. I'm excited oh, to see what Suarez can do. Ultimately, um, you know, I, I think it is a shame that right when we climb back into the top four and maybe have things pointing in the right direction kind of unexpectedly, we have such a tough game coming up. But, you know, if we don't uh, put all our eggs in this basket and just sort of approach it as a curiosity, maybe that's the best thing to do. In any event, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll be back with a podcast after that. We're going to do a Patreon podcast uh, tomorrow. Actually, so Friday, uh, day after deadline day, go over the transfer window, talk more about Suarez, uh, cover a couple other things that we have planned. So if you haven't signed up for our Patreon yet, you can do that, and we would love you. And if you are not signing up for our Patreon, uh, we still love you. And if you've already signed up, we love you. So we love all of you regardless, and uh, we appreciate you listening to us. Uh, Tim will be back after the City game. Clive will be back for the Patreon pod. Uh, Scott may never be back if he just got fired from his job. Who knows? He may be found wandering the streets of San Francisco. Still better, though, than wandering the streets where I live, where it is 4 million degrees below zero. In any event, uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paws. Woohoo! My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Tim. Lots of nasty things. We've built up quite a debt of nasty things that need to be said about Tim. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Manchester City now. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.